This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to Millennial 716. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. And I'm Pamela. Pam, something looks different about your shot. It oh, your uh, your state is losing a house seat, according to the new census data. Oh no! Yeah, <laughs> I thought Not you meant like, like my Pam's actual house, house, like my room, and I was like, oh well, yeah, I'm back. So That's cool. on Monday, the U.S. <laughs> Census published their 2020 population study. Of course, this encom- encompasses the past 10 years, and there's a lot of interesting info. The U.S. population grew at its slowest rate since the 1930s driven by lower rates of immigration and births. Six states will gain seats in the U.S. House of Representatives, Texas, Colorado, Florida, Montana, North Carolina, and Oregon. A few of those were expected. Seven states will lose seats, California, like I mentioned, Illinois, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia. California lost a House seat for the first time in its history. So that's a pretty big deal. And interestingly, New York would not have lost a House seat if they only managed to count 89 more people. They were 89 people short of uh, maintaining the number of seats they have in the House of Representatives. Um, The states with the largest growth rate were Utah, Idaho, Texas, North Dakota, and Nevada. States whose population shrunk, West Virginia, Illinois, and Mississippi. And I did call the Census Bureau, and they did confirm that my moving from Illinois to Nevada directly affected why those uh, states appeared in their respective categories oh, today. Oh, that's right. Illinois lost its uh, lost a house seat because of you, because Andrew. Because of me. I needed to be represented personally. Anyway, really interesting to see all this. And I know, Laura, you were really honest about the census last year. Yeah, it's super important because it's going to have ramifications for the next 10 years about um, how political power is determined. Um, This really determines how districts are going to be drawn in states. And we've spoken about gerrymandering on the show before. It's the practice of purposefully drawing districts that are completely absurd in order to leave certain groups of people out and ensure um, one particular party continually dominates a district. Um, You can go and look some of these districts up. They look insane. Like we did, I think, one of these on a variety show one time where we tried to guess what was a gerrymandered district and what was like an inkblot test. And we looked at one that legit just straight up looked like a pterodactyl, saw another one that looked like an upside down coat hanger. Um, So what this means is that state legislatures are going to be drawing the new maps that are going to determine political power through 2031. So for the next 10 years, and I would really encourage everybody to check out all on the line. It's a national campaign to restore fairness by ending gerrymandering in the United States. This is, of course, Barack Obama approved. um, So you can feel confident about that. But if you're interested in learning more, I would recommend that resource. 
Any thoughts on population growth or shrinkage? I thought it was interesting to see like where people are moving and where what's growing, what's not. Yeah, it is really interesting. I think it says something about things like housing affordability, like the fact that people are leaving states like California and Texas is seeing such a boom, I think really speaks to the cost of living. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's um, that's kind of nothing new. I feel like every couple of uh, months or at least once a year out in California, there's some local headline about the mass exodus of um, not necessarily just like California residents in general, but like native Californians. So those are kind of the people that are starting to become displaced and um, in like in our state specifically. So people that have been like generationally here for a very long time, and then realize that they can't afford it because of all of the the new money that's moved into the state. So yeah, uh, it's a double edged sword for sure. But it wasn't necessarily surprising to hear that um, that people are flocking the coop. We're flying the coop for these other states. And meanwhile, Nevada and Utah, they're right next to California. It's way cheaper to buy a house here. And you're still close to California if, if you need to get back. Oh, and by the way, Nevada doesn't have state income tax. So it's like it's a mm. it's a no brainer for a lot of people just to move over the state line. One thing I will say is I, I was surprised that um, it doesn't seem like Oregon saw a any sort of growth rate based on your notes here, only because I feel like most people that I know that have moved out of California specifically have been moving up north to Oregon, where it's a lot cheaper to live. They are gaining a seat in the house. But yes, they weren't one of the top growing states. And I guess uh, this is complicated, but it all just has to do with those percentages in terms of how they compare to the rest of the country. Yeah, it is really interesting because being from the Atlanta area, Atlanta is such a transient city and we have so much influence from Hollywood happening here. Atlanta's really like it's becoming sort of like the Hollywood of the Southeast, if you will. Um, and it is interesting because anecdotally it does feel like a lot of people are coming here, but I guess it wasn't enough to tilt those percentages. Yeah. Well it's still warm. So people in California still get to enjoy that. And like you said, they can work in Hollywood, the Atlanta version of Hollywood. And Tracy is also mentioning that a lot of people are moving from California to Austin, Texas. And again, it's warm. Yeah. And it's cool. It's a blue bubble. Oh, yeah. And Austin is such a great city. So I totally understand that. Um, something else I thought was interesting was the lower rates of immigration and births. Yeah. Um, on on the immigration note, um, I just want to throw this in the face of every single person who complains about immigrants. <laughs> um, and secondly, uh, on births, I wonder if any of that has to do with millennials. I mean, as a generation, we are procreating far less than the generations that came before us. People can't afford it. A lot of people can't afford yeah. raising a child. And didn't we talk one time about how like teen mom is responsible for less births? <laughs> because these people would watch teen mom and be like, oh, God, this looks horrible. I don't want to have a kid. Yeah, I, we spoke about that at some point, I think. I think we did. Yeah. So it's teen mom and being a millennial that is preventing a lot of new births in America. <laughs> you know, it's fine. I mean, there are a lot of people in this country. And I don't know if uh, some cities definitely do not need more people. But on the other hand, we do want to see this country growing. So I don't really know where I come down on that particular issue. Hey, you know what else is growing? The Captain America franchise, right, Pam? Yeah, supposedly. So last Friday, we got the final episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then 
you know, right in the middle of the day, we got news that it looks like Marvel is already planning a fourth Captain America film. Um, Marvel, of course, is keeping tight-lipped because they don't usually like to respond right away when this news breaks on the internet. Um, but it looks like the showrunner for Falcon and Winter Soldier, Malcolm Spellman, is actually on board to develop. So that's good news if you were a fan of the limited series because, you know, he was spearheading stuff over there. Yeah. Yeah, love it. And I thought this would be a good moment for us to share our final thoughts on Falcon and Winter Soldier since the finale aired this last Friday. I enjoyed it. So there was one part that was like a little cheesy. Um, and I think that you pr- you were nodding your head. So I feel like maybe you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And I just felt right. like that was a little too on the nose. Like they had already kind of dealt with the idea of that it just wasn't i i don't know it was just kind of um like it took me out of the moment but overall uh it was a really good episode the after credit scene was really interesting as well they're setting a lot of stuff up even though they've they've closed the 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 book on this particular chapter so i don't know where they take it from here for for a movie though there's actually a really good video i can send you pam i don't know how familiar you are with the U.S. agent storyline, um, but I wanted to learn more. So I actually watched a, a YouTuber who covered sort of like the arc and what the best comics to read are, if you're interested. Um, and we can share that in the show notes, too, for anyone who is uh, interested as well. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see where they take this. I really liked the final episode. I thought overall, um, I really enjoyed the show. I think... I still think I still maintain that they made cuts. They like definitely did rewrites and recuts because there is some stuff that happens that feels a little awkward, maybe a little random, maybe a little anticlimactic because they might have had to cut certain key moments in order to put this product together I don't 100% know why they might have had to make those cuts. I have my suspicions. There are certain things like the Flag Smasher storyline, Sharon Carter's storyline that I feel like some stuff got left out. I don't know if you got the same sense, Pam. Yeah, I think that um, that started to feel more and more apparent once we got to the probably the last time we checked in on this so the midway mark because yeah all of a sudden it was like oh we we only have you know three episodes left how are they going to tie this up and the answer is that they really couldn't even though it was enjoyable but but i think that um they probably could have benefited with at least uh, from at least having two more episodes to kind of really dive into some of the stuff that they started Mm -hmm. tossing out there so at the end of the day i guess it's like a fun Easter egg for people that know the comics, but it was was kind of interesting that they decided to to throw those things in there regardless, because usually Marvel does that when they're setting something up for more, but we don't really have like a defined slate for these limited series in terms of like where where they go forward from here, you know, so it's kind of hard to tell if like right. it's even going to matter for people that are just casual fans. Well, they have said that the movies will tie closely into the TV series and vice versa. So I think some of the things that you see in the TV series will play into Captain America 4 and the greater MCU, the larger MCU. I like this new suit. Did you guys like the new suit? It's kind of a surprise, right? It's a good entrance. 
It looked so good. Yeah. Oh, that entrance. We That's definitely really good. paused and rewound <laughs> yeah. and rewatched it like three times because it was so good. Mm-hmm. Um, also, just, you know, I think that because we don't have a black person on the panel right now, we can't fully speak to the impact of what this series means um, in terms of being black in America and seeing some seeing a black man be able to assume that mantle of being Captain America. Um, but I just didn't want it to go unsaid that the show has an impact and sends a very strong message. And I just I feel like it's probably one of the most important pieces of representation to come out of Marvel mm. in recent history. And on top of that, they did a really good job with the story, even given some of the cuts that I think they had to make. So yeah, that's my feeling on it. All right. Well, Laura, I think you have a vaccination update for us. I did warn you of something last week. You and... did. So I spoke too soon last week about vaccine side effects. I had gotten my vaccine like 12 hours before we recorded the show. And I was over here thinking I was like, bit, you know, boss ass bitch being like, I don't have any side effects. I feel great. My immune system is fucking killing it. Um, <laughs> 3 a.m. that night, I woke up with chills and a fever and I felt like crap the next day. But it passed very quickly and I felt back to my normal self after that. Um, so I thought that this would be a good opportunity to update people on that, but also provide a couple of quick vaccine updates. The pause has been lifted on the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is great news. And the U.S. has more than nine million doses of it ready to go. (laughs) Um, but we may be getting to a point where the U.S. has more vaccines than people willing to get them. This is a problem because we need 70 to 85 percent of people to either get COVID and recover or get the vaccine in order to reach herd immunity. Um, Andrew, you have a note here as well about the yeah. second dose. More than 5 million people or 8% of those who uh, who have received their first shot have missed their appointment for their second shot, according to the CDC. That's crazy. 8% of people have said no to the second shot. I assume there's a portion of those people who just are busy and forgot. But I wonder if some people are also just like, what do I need the second shot for? The efficacy of shot one is enough for me. Maybe that's what they're thinking. That's a disturbing percentage. I would hope it's the former. Um, I don't know if this is going to change now that it's that's opened up countrywide. But the people that I know that got in, you know, early on because of, you know, um, pre-existing conditions and things like that, they weren't really allowing for much wiggle room, it sounded like, in terms of when you could schedule the second appointment. And that was really hard, I know, for quite a few people in my life. Mm. So, um, you know, they made it work. But I am kind of wondering if, like, some people might have had difficulty with that. That's fair. And then and yeah, then they maybe. kind of got 
backed up a little bit in terms of like the amount of shots that we were getting in the beginning. So yeah, I think that's a really good point. At least for me, I wasn't given an option on when to show up next time. If I pushed right, back, exactly. I wonder what would have happened if I was like, I can't mm-hmm. make it on Thursday. Can yeah. I do Friday or what? Actually, this particular place was only doing vaccinations one day a week at the time. So maybe that's happening too. I know a lot of places are doing these vaccinations daily, obviously, but maybe that's a factor as well. Some places just aren't doing vaccines every day. So mm-hmm. yeah. So like, for example, my mom went um, when she got her appointment set up, the first one was given to her on a Sunday and she picked a Sunday because she was thinking, I'll, I'll get a Sunday appointment for shot number two. That's fine. I don't work Saturday and Sunday, so it works out. And then they gave her the shot and they said, okay, well, like you're going to come back on this random Tuesday at one o'clock in the afternoon. And she was like, um, do you have any other appointments? Because I thought that I was going to get a weekend since I got the shot and weekend. They said, no, this is like all you can have. So she wow. agreed. And then she tried to reschedule because, you know, knowing that she could maybe uh, experience some side effects from the second shot, she wouldn't want to go back to work after that. Um, and they were just like, we don't have another appointment for you because we're running low on, um, you know, on doses. And so like, we only have a certain amount for certain days. And like, this is the day you got. So this is the day you have to show up. And, you know, she's in a position where she was able to make it work. But I do kind of wonder about the people that maybe weren't able to do that and then just haven't been able to go back in. I think you're right. It sounds like a big issue, actually. They need to work on that. Well, and hopefully places are doing an okay job of reaching out to people who've missed their second dose. I would hope that they'd be following up to provide alternate um, appointment times. I know I got mine at Kroger and in the confirmation email they sent and in the reminder email you got the night before, it was like, if you can't make your appointment time, call this number and we'll reschedule you. So that was an option for me, but I understand that may not have been for everyone else. Um, But just as, quick note here, not reaching herd immunity leaves us open for future waves of COVID and also makes us vulnerable to the variants that we've heard so much about. Um, Something else that's problematic about the U.S.'s stockpile of vaccines is that the U.S. and other wealthy countries have been hoarding these vaccines, which leaves other countries waiting. We've heard from our friends and listeners abroad who are saying like, yeah, I might get it in September. I might not even get it in 2021. Um, Some experts are saying that at the current rate, the pandemic won't be under control globally until 2024. So all of these wealthy Western countries that are hoarding the vaccines need to cut it out. Start sharing the wealth, please. Right. So in, in short, do your part. And get the vaccine if you are able, eligible, and it's accessible to you. And both shots, unfortunately, it sounds like we have to say. (laughs) (laughs) We'll be moving on to pop culture momentarily. But first, it's time for a word from our first sponsor this week, Talkspace. Now that we're coming up on a year of the new normal, it sometimes feels like we'll never get our old lives back. The uncertainty of not knowing when this will all end is frustrating and a little scary. In short, the last year has been rough on everyone, and I know we're all ready to turn a corner and move forward as best we can. So now's the time to seek out support with Talkspace. Talkspace is the number one online therapy platform that has 
thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, including anxiety, depression, relationships, and more. Your therapist can help you set and achieve your goals one step at a time. I think you'll be surprised by how working with a therapist will change your outlook. I've been really open on the show about my experiences going to therapy to address my anxiety and depression. It's pretty amazing how working with a licensed therapist can help you learn more about yourself and how to be kind and patient with yourself while you work on you. I want you to give Talkspace a try. This is truly the future of therapy thanks to its convenience while still remaining effective. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com or download the app. Make sure to use the code M-I-L-L to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's M-I-L-L and Talkspace.com. Okay, so let's talk a little pop culture now, a little more pop culture. And I wanted to talk about books. We don't really talk about books much. And we're all bookies here. That's how we all got our start in podcasting and working together, actually. I saw this report in the New York Times, the pandemic may be negatively impacting book sales for unknown authors, but the book industry actually did well during the pandemic. Overall sales were up 8% in 2020, and the back catalogs popped in some instances. For example, Snoop Dogg, he has a cookbook. I don't know if you two knew this, but it was a huge hit in 2020, even though it came out a few years ago. For the publisher, it was actually one of their biggest books of 2020, despite being a few years old. However, with fewer people going to bookstores, less people are discovering books by unknown authors that they would have been uh, that they would have seen if they were walking walking through physical bookstore aisles. This is a really crazy stat. Ninety eight percent of books that were released in 2020 sold less than five thousand copies. That's like nothing. People in the book industry are concerned that book sales will drop again in 2021 onward because we're all going to start going out again and we're going to have some other things to do besides reading books. On the other hand, some people are hoping, hey, 2020, like Harry Potter, sparked an interest in reading for a lot of people. And maybe that trend will continue, but it's too early to say right now. So I wanted to ask you two. Do you make efforts to help small authors? Like, I think, like, at least for me, I'm just going to be honest and say, I don't really, this is an issue I never really thought about before. I only find out about books through word of mouth, really. And if I'm going through a bookstore and I'm looking for a particular type of book, I guess I might notice one by a small author and it might catch my interest. And then I'll normally go on Amazon in the bookstore and just check the reviews to make sure it's good before I buy. But I'm not good at supporting small authors. <laughs> I'll just admit it. I don't really think about it, um, honestly, but I'm sure that I, I do pick up stuff. I don't really, honestly, I don't really read a lot of um, bestsellers when they're super hot. But that's also because, and I'm probably adding to the problem here, I check a lot of my books out from the library. Oh, yeah. So I'm constantly browsing on there. Um, or I try and go to use bookstores and pick up books. Like every mm. once in a while, I'll go to you know, like a Barnes and Noble and just see if if there's something that catches my eye. But again, like you said, that's not really possible right now. Um, but um, Goodreads is a good resource 
for like looking for what's trending. They have uh, trending lists for all genres, uh, booktube and book talk as well. A lot of like really hardcore readers are on there all the time doing things like if you liked this popular book, you should read this smaller book. And I think that that's really cool that they use their platforms to do that. Um, so there's certainly people out there that are you know, trying their best to to get other people interested in some of these smaller titles. But unless you're kind of like looking for those things in the right places, you're probably going to miss it. Yeah, I feel pretty guilty. I know. Now that we're having this conversation, because I definitely will purchase books by small authors, but it's kind of circumstantial. Like, if I happen to be at a convention, and I'm like, touring through all the booths on the vendor floor, right? And I strike up a conversation with a small author and they're there selling their book, I'll buy their book. Um, Or if somebody recommends something to me by word of mouth, I'll buy the book. And I try, something I've been trying to do in the last couple of years is supporting more independently owned bookstores. So I've been making purchases from there instead of Amazon when I can. Um, But yeah, I don't, it's occurring to me now that I don't actively go out of my way to learn more about and support small authors. And that's something I would like to change. Sometimes it's hard because like (laughs) the other day, a friend of mine recommended a newer book to me and it was not available on Amazon. Oh, really? And it was not. Yeah. And it was just like, like I could have ordered it and waited a few weeks, but it was one of those things where it's like, if I can't get it right now, then it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And and then I looked, you know, at a couple bookstores near me and they also didn't have it. It's like, I don't want a special order or something. I just want to get the book because it was <laughs> highly recommended. And maybe that's the wrong attitude to have, too, because this is definitely not a book by an author that I was familiar with. So I'm assuming it had to be a smaller um, person. I love how you're like, I can't wait weeks for this book. So screw no, it. <laughs> I just like wanted to read it now so that I could read it with my friend and we could discuss while we were reading it together, oh, like a little virtual book club. It just I didn't see. work out that way. I see. Interesting. Yeah. I love uh, used bookstores so much. Um, there's Me one, whatever I'm in Flagstaff, I go to called Bookman's. You never know what you're going to find in a used bookstore. And actually, I was looking yeah. for the book Fangirl at this particular bookstore for a while. I've been mm-hmm. to Flagstaff a few times over the past year. So every time I would go, I would look for Fangirl because I really wanted to get it for Pat because he hasn't read it yet. And I finally found it there the last time I was there. I was like, yes. And it's like finding gold. You find a book that you've been after. It's a really good feeling. And it's nice to support local, of course. I was going to say that a lot of those local bookstores, too, like for me, it would be something like City Lights or Green Apple. Those are probably my two favorites uh, in San Francisco, but there's certainly a bunch more. They have local shelves, like local author shelves that you can oh, go cool. through. And they also have like um, like um, self-published author shelves that you can look through, mm. um, things like that, or like um, small indie publishing out, um, uh, house shelves as well, like just different areas dedicated to those kinds of things. So that's another incentive to to visit an independent bookstore instead of something that's more of like a big box, because big box can be fun, but um, it's like a way different vibe for sure. Yeah. We're getting some interesting feedback in our Discord right now from our patrons. Shelby said, plugging bookshop.org if you can't get to a local bookstore in person. This helps you support local bookstores by shopping online uh with with bookshop.org yeah and then uh somebody 
Liza said, someone recently recommended recommended the StoryGraph app to me, and I'm kind of liking that too. The feature where you can get recommendations based on what mood book you want. So I guess you pick your mood. Like, I'm horny, I want a romance. Or I'm, I'm sad, I want a book about happiness. And they'll give you recommendations, I assume, something like that. That's really cool. I love that. Yeah. Most of what I read for fun is like true crime. <laughs> So. Oh, God, you're so messed up. True crime books, true crime television shows. Yeah. True crime documentaries. And also, I really, like, uh, I really like biographies just in general as a genre. I like memoir, too. Um, so, yeah, I just like uh, knowing real stories about real people. Nice. I'll definitely check out StoryGraph. This is very interesting to me. Yeah, I definitely will. Something that I really want to do because um, I'm... In this time in a week, um, I will be officially like two weeks past my second dose. Um, and I actually have not, I see you have this question here, Andrew. I have not stepped foot in a bookstore during the pandemic. And I think I want to make my first visit to a bookstore post vaccination to a locally owned bookstore. So that's my goal. That's fun. Yeah. Pam, have you been in, into any bookstores over the past year? No, because I, like you, I really like going to like used used bookstores. Yeah, I really love that vibe. Um, and I don't know, it's just a lot of them. I don't think they can afford to stay open. Yeah, but that's why you got to show up, Pam. Come on. No, I know that, but like, it's harder. They don't have as much money to stay open. You know, five days a week, hoping that somebody can come in. Oh, you know, I see what you're saying and shop. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, that's been the trend for a lot of small businesses out here. So, but this is a good reminder for me to check to see if they are open because maybe I can just go in and drop some money Yeah, from some new books. Drop those coins. Yeah. So I thought that was some interesting information from the New York Times about how book sales have been going. And we'll see if this trend, this uptick that started in 2020 will continue. I certainly hope it does, but I, I think the theory is correct that as things start to reopen, less people will be reading. And I, I maintain, I've said this before, everything is going to go back to normal. There's been talk about no more handshakes, no more of this, no more that. Everything's going to get back to normal in time. You watch, I promise you. All right. Well, it's recorded, so <laughs> we have evidence. So the Oscars were last night. I'm sure that a lot of you forgot because I almost did as well. <laughs> They're very late this year. Um, but that that was like the last major award show that we had left looming. And I think out of all of them, the vibe resembled more of like what you would expect a traditional award show to feel like in a normal year because they did have the red carpet and there were people in attendance and things like that. Um, so in case you missed it, you didn't miss much. So don't worry about that. <laughs> um, but the big winner was probably Nomadland. Uh, they won Best Director, Best Actor, and Best Picture, or Best Actress, and Best Picture. This is a movie that you saw, right, Andrew? Didn't you recommend it? Yeah, I did. I want to become a trucker. And this was like in line with with that kind of vibe <laughs> that I'm, I'm hoping to uh, pursue one day. It was a really good movie. I really liked it. That said, I didn't see many of the Best Picture nominees. I also did see Promising Young Woman, which I recommended a while ago as well. Very good. You two still really need to watch it. It's such a thrill. 
I heard it's really heavy, so I've been saving it. It's the, I don't think I wouldn't call it heavy. It's a it's a thriller. Okay. I would say uh, maybe somebody that I spoke to was being overly cautious <laughs> about recommending yeah. this movie. <laughs> I mean, usually I'm up and I'm up to date with the the best picture winners at least. But like you, I also didn't watch very many of them, and I think it's just because. You know, with the movie theaters closed, it's really hard to get out to see some of these movies. Yeah. I know that my local theater, on I was very tempted. My local theater on Friday was showing each Best Picture nomination um, oh, for $5 fun. each. But I resisted Ooh. because still not ready to go back to the movies yeah. just yet. Yeah. But, I get it. But it was tempting. Um, a couple of standout moments that I wanted to bring up, though. Uh, we were in a new venue this year. So Union Station, which is in downtown L.A., was the venue for the Oscars. Uh, usually it's at the Dolby Theater, which is over by the Chinese Theater. Um, very, very small, much smaller than normal. So they definitely went for that intimate vibe, I think. Uh, runtime was still very long, despite the fact that they did all of the musical performances before the show even started. Yeah. And they let people, they they had no time limit on the acceptance speeches. So people could right. talk for as long as they want. And it got pretty boring. It it did. It almost kind of like, I feel like every year we hem and haw about how rude it is that they play people off. But it almost kind of feels like they needed to do a little bit more reining in. Yeah, you can't just let people talk for as long as they want. Like, I get why they want yeah. to. I get that it's their moment. But you do have to have some limits. I mean, come on. Yeah. Although, to play devil's advocate, you know, Daniel Kaluuya won for Best Supporting Actor. And he had a very memorable line towards the end of his acceptance speech. I don't know if you guys watched live. But basically, he ran out of things to say, and he was like, I'm here because my parents had sex. <laughs> it was the last thing. It was like a revelation. <laughs> he had well, had. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that true of all of us? That's yep. true. My he parents had right sex, and now plate. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that like the, the biggest thing that people are probably talking about in terms of last night's ceremony is that they shuffled up the award order, which is not that big of a deal usually, but usually ends with best picture and it's, it's just a nice way to close out the night because there's a bunch of people on stage and it usually you know means that there's a little bit more acceptance speeches from the different people involved in making the movie but this year they decided to um, end with the best actor award and I think that everybody sort of thought they were doing this to uh, set up for Chadwick Boseman maybe winning for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom but it ended up going to Anthony Hopkins for the father. And uh, it was a little anticlimactic because he wasn't even there yeah. to accept the award. He wasn't there. The Oscars said no to anybody calling in via Zoom. You had to be at the theater or in certain locations around the globe. Because if they started letting people call in via Zoom, nobody would have actually showed up to the event. So they basically forced people to show up in person. Anthony Hopkins said, A, I'm probably not going to win anything. And B, I'm not going to go hang out with people during a pandemic and fly overseas and all that. So, man, that was a gamble that they lost miserably on, hoping that Chadwick was going to win. The producers don't know the winners, which is, I think, a good thing still. But really, let's say he did win. Would having that moment for Chadwick have been any different if that category was announced 20 minutes earlier? Best picture goes at the end because that's the top award of the night. 
period. And like you say, it's it's a big moment. A lot of people up on stage. I get that. But it's also the top award. Bigger than Best mm-hmm. Actor or Best Actress. And the whole thing was so slow and boring. And Steven really Soderbergh slow. directed the Oscars. And he shot it at 24 frames per second. So it looked a little, looks kind of like a dream. And he also shot it in a certain aspect ratio. So there were bars on the top and bottom. And uh, he was doing the rule of thirds like crazy. So people were either on the left side of the screen or the right side of the screen. It just, I liked, I didn't hate that part. But the whole thing was just so different than previous years. And I also heard some drama that, like, by putting it in Union Station, they were kicking out people who actually really rely on Union Station and, you know, some homeless people who actually live there. You know, it's an important hub for people. And they shut people out for weeks. Also, Hollywood could go and pat itself on the back when there's plenty of other venues they could have used that wouldn't have disrupted anyone. And all of that. And they didn't even give it to Chadwick Boseman. Right. Yeah. It's (laughs) like... Are you serious? Yeah. Yeah. There there was, I mean, they tried, but it, it was not, um, I don't know. I just feel like this was probably just going to go down as one more weird award show in an otherwise very odd year of events. Right. You know? And there was one funny skit and it didn't occur until two hours, 40 minutes into the event. And like, why not do anything funny? I read this interview with, with one of the producers and they were like, we just didn't think it was the right year for that. But I'm like, the Golden Globes did it, and it worked fine. You can be funny. Give, give people an escape. Oh, and by the way, one other thing. I have a lot of feelings about this. I was glued to Twitter last night reading everybody's <laughs> opinions. Where was all the support for going back to movies later this year once you're vaccinated? Only Frances McDormand came out and said, like, everybody needs to go back to the movie theater once it's safe to do so. Nobody else said that. There was nothing about going back to the movie theaters. You know, those things that make movies successful i think they were trying to it's it is kind of funny you're right that they didn't do that because for the past few years all we've been hearing is that we need to protect the sacredness of the movie theater experience by all of these big time directors that are also part of the academy board trying to lock out you know non-traditional ways to release movies like you know, something that's coming out of Netflix. And so it is kind of funny that they didn't drive that point home a little bit more. My only thought is that they they assumed that they were doing that every time one of these presenters went on about, um, you know, how these nominees got into the magic of movie making or wanting to be in the movies, because that was like the big trend the whole night. Yeah, right. And one other thing, by the way, one more thing, one more thing. Uh, by putting Best Picture at third to last, it took away from that win. That was a big win. Director Chloe Zhao made history by becoming the first woman of color and first Chinese woman to win the Oscar for Best Director. Um, And then her film goes on to win Best Picture. And then it's kind of pushed forward, which takes away from the moment. Countless things went wrong with this year's Oscars, in my opinion. You are not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) What did uh, Glenn Close do? I have no idea, but I saw her trending. Oh, yeah. So she, they had this. I think this is the comedy bit that Andrew was referencing in the in the middle, right? The they, one they comedy had, bit. Um, yeah, they had one of their, like, not co-hosts, but kind of co-hosts asking. Um, they were, like, doing, like, this music trivia segment with some of the nominees. Um, and were basically um, asking them to, to, like, guess if the song that was played was... Uh, nominated for an Oscar or won an Oscar or none of the above. 
Um, so Glenn Close closed out that segment and she, <laughs> I, I still don't know if it was scripted or not. My inclination is to believe that it was probably scripted, but she knew but it she was, was going to happen. She knew it was going to, yeah, yeah. Okay. I read into yeah, that. So she, she had this whole thing about the song by the butt and she got up into the dance and it was, uh, it was a good time. It was funny. It was funny. Yeah. But it that was, funny. was the yeah, one yeah. planned funny thing during the event. So, yeah, but you should look that up. That was a good moment that was a good i one. would love to know what andre day was bleeped out uh of saying because they, they cut her off real quick when she started um going off about uh, the fact that prince's purple rain was never actually awarded um, oh yeah a win for some of the songs in that movie before we continue, I want to tell you that HelloFresh is sponsoring this week's episode of Millennial, and they are going to hook you up with free food. With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering recipes delivered right to your door. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. And that's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh is my number one meal kit for a variety of reasons. For starters, they offer more than 25 recipes to choose from each week, from vegetarian meals to craft burgers and extra special gourmet options. There's something for everyone to enjoy. And all recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and nutritional experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. HelloFresh's ingredients are sourced directly from growers and delivered from the farm to your front door in under a week. They're going to save you money too. HelloFresh is 28% cheaper than shopping at your local grocery store and 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal without sacrificing the quality. And I have to spend an extra moment talking about the taste. The recipes give you lots of original meals that you hadn't thought of before, and they always floor me. I end up keeping many of the recipe cards because I want to make them myself again in the future. For example, we received this firecracker meatball with roasted carrot and sesame rice recipe that I have not stopped thinking about since we made it a few weeks ago. The sauce they have you make is a revelation. Shake up your meals and give yourself something delicious to look forward to in the evenings. Oh, and how does free food sound? Go to HelloFresh.com slash M-I-L-L-12 and use code M-I-L-L-12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, go to HelloFresh.com slash M-I-L-L-12 and use code M-I-L-L-12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Free food, people. It does not get better than this. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. All right, we are now joined by one of our Bay supporters on Patreon, Hayden. Hi, Hayden. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you. Tell us about yourself. I live in Florida, uh, the Tampa Bay area, and I work in recycling. That's so cool. Specifically with a brokerage company that buys and sells recycled materials. Very cool. Okay. And I saw you coming up in our queue and I was like, this is perfect because we just passed Earth Day and we can talk to you about recycling and sustainability. And so thank you for joining us and thanks for your longtime support on Patreon. We really appreciate it. It's also perfect because I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. I want to talk about when things claim to be recyclable, we're like, okay, great. So we throw it in the recycling bin. And then we just forget about it. We think we did our part and, you know, it's going to go back and truly be recycled. And I always feel good when I throw something in the recycling bin, but that's not always the case. Why is this? It really comes down to your local recycler. So it depends on the recycling facility it's going to. Most 
bins that you have at home are a single stream bin. So meaning everything goes in one bin versus having separate bins for different recyclables. And not everything is acceptable in a single stream recycling bin. Um, there are items that can be recycled elsewhere. You think electronics, batteries, etc., that are recyclable, but not in to your recycling bin. So that's the main thing. Some of the materials, like you think of grocery bags, those can yeah. really clog up machines. So that's one mm. of the reasons they don't accept those. But you can recycle grocery bags. You just can't recycle them in your bin. So that's why a lot of times it's not always recyclable at home. Does it change like uh, county to county yeah. as well? Yeah, Okay. absolutely. So it really depends on what your facility will take. So there's some facilities that will take glass and there's a most facilities do not take glass. Glass is actually one of the largest contaminants of um, different recyclable goods because when it gets to the facilities where it's going to be made into different materials, glass is not something the machine can handle. It can actually break it. So if they see any sort of glass, they go, this bale, this two-ton bale of material instantly goes in the garbage. Um, doesn't matter that all the stuff in there was clean. If there's glass, it's no longer good. Glass is also uh. really, really heavy to transport. So unless they have somewhere close by, the return on money versus the investment for the freight, it doesn't make much sense financially to take the glass. So while glass is recyclable, I, I mean, I believe my recycling does take glass. I don't even bother with it, quite honestly, because I know it's more likely going to ruin my material than actually get recycled. Oh, wow. man, that's so interesting. It, this kind of ties into a question that I have, but I was so glad that you talked about glass because um, when I got my recycling bin, I was super excited. I was like, oh, we can throw all our recyclables in here. Very quickly found out that we could not recycle glass that way and that if we wanted to recycle our glass, we were going to have to load it up and take it to a separate location on our own. Um, so that just has implications for people who maybe don't have the access to transportation to be able to make that kind of trip, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you mentioned that if, you know, glass gets thrown in and your county does not accept glass at their facility, that they might just throw everything away. Is that also true if people are throwing trash in your recycling bin, for example? Absolutely. Um, if you, one of the other main contaminant, contaminants that happen is food byproduct, food waste. So if you're, not, if you're pouring a can of tomato sauce and then not rinsing out that tomato sauce, and then that tomato sauce is getting all over everything else, that's no longer recyclable. You can't then bail up that material and sully the rest of the material to then go out. That would immediately be picked off the pick line and thrown in the waste bin. It's just not, I mean, the wow. forklift kind of comes through and gets what it can, but yeah, it's not a good good thing. So that means that like pizza boxes and stuff, you should be just putting all of it in the trash, yeah. not even like the clean so part. So if you in the if you have a clean part, you can. Um, usually, pizza boxes are a red flag to a recycling plant because generally they're going to have grease on them, which is also down the line at the mill that's going to turn that recyclable into a new product. They can't handle grease, so if they're seeing pizza boxes, they're going. This is not a good bale of material. Mm -hmm. When you brought up the pasta sauce jar example, you said if the sauce in the jar gets elsewhere, let's say there's no lid on it, so it gets elsewhere in the recycling, so none of that will be recyclable. 
but what if the sauce doesn't get elsewhere? Will they just pick that jar out and let the rest of it continue through? Yes, yes, I believe so. So generally, what we're having with our home bins, it's a single recycling bin that everything goes into. So that goes into your recycling truck, everything's all together, then it gets dropped at the MRF, which is a materials recovery facility, I believe that's what it stands for, MRF. Um, And they have a literal pick line that they pick things out of. There are people that are physically there handling material, looking for garbage, looking for good stuff and sorting it all out. Um, So there are mechanical ways that they kind of can sort out metal or paper or cardboard. But as they go through, they're picking out trash so they can identify it. That's interesting. I never knew that there's actually humans picking out trash. I just assumed it was all mechanical or somehow they use tech to determine that in another way. I have a question quickly to interject here about lids. Yes. Because I've heard that there are certain kinds of lids that you should not recycle. So lids in general, you really can't recycle. Um That's because, I mean, if it's a bigger lid, sometimes you can. Generally, a lid is a different kind of plastic than the bottle it comes in. So usually if you think like a water bottle, generally that's PTE, which is a number one, I believe. And then the bottle on top or the cap is a different kind of uh, material. And because they're different, they can't be recycled at the same places. The people that are going to make a new product can't use both plastics. They need to have solid one or the other. Um, They don't want mixing at all. So really, you should be taking the lids off of any bottles you're throwing away. I believe there is a way that they can float it out, but the preference is that. So if you are putting your lid on your bottle, the lid's not getting recycled. (laughs) It's just getting chucked um, in the the mill facility. That's another revelation. I'm like, no! Yeah, (laughs) but also anything that's smaller than a credit card, say, it's hard for them to pick out. It's hard for them to bail up. That's just getting trashed. I feel like I'm being a big downer. <laughs> no, 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 it's I mean, important. No, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's really informative because, you know, I live in a community where people pride themselves. Like mm-hmm. everybody has a recycling bin. Everyone prides themselves on it. I think some people are, they like put themselves on a pedestal because of it. And it's like, if you're not recycling properly, then what does it matter? What does all that effort matter if it's just going to get thrown in the trash? So I think it's important for people to know. Yeah. Yeah. And also because the system is so fragile, like one screw up can screw up your whole personal bin or the whole load, like you were saying. We want to get it right to make sure that what can be recycled is actually getting recycled ultimately. And actually, I, I had a question that kind of fits into this. So um, my city, San Francisco, has for a very, very long time put implemented the three bin system. So we have like the trash bin, the recycling bin and the compost bin. Um, but I assume that there's a lot of human error that happens there because they're in public places. People don't want to take the time to really, you know, uh, sort through their own garbage. They just want to like toss everything and leave. So like... In general, is that a helpful system to have in place or is there just like so much human contamination that it's more something that that we do to make us feel better about, you know, trying? So I would say it depends on the community and because I have not experienced living in a community that does that and my job specifically hasn't really dealt with that. Um, They're actually based in Atlanta and Atlanta doesn't really do that. So that I'm aware of at least. No, we do not. Um. Yeah. Nope. So 
I would say most likely they're still sending everything to a MRF and going through a pick line because there is the expectation that there's going to be a contamination in that and that people are not keeping it super clean and that somebody's going to mistake it as a trash can. I think the hope would be the vast majority don't. So it's keeping it relatively clean. I'm sure they have the expectation that somebody's going to mess it up. So, what are some other things that people assume are recyclable but aren't? Um, so I kind of mentioned it earlier, but batteries. A lot of people think you can throw batteries mm. in your recycling bin at your house. You cannot, <laughs> and it is actually the number one cause of fires at uh, recycling plants. Because lithium batteries, when because they move everything with a forklift when it comes in, that's how they move everything from one place to another. If a forklift runs over a lithium battery, it causes a spark. And if there's a lot of paper around, it just instantly goes up in flames. So don't throw away, so don't recycle lithium batteries in your house. There are places where you can recycle them. Um, Usually at stores, a lot of, um, I think like at Best Buy and places like that, they have drop boxes for that kind of thing. So that would be number one. Um, Medical waste is something I also mentioned. Needles, not something you can throw in your bin. Um, I don't know if it's um, diabetic needles or whatever, but I do hear a lot about um, people on the pick line getting uh, poked by needles and then having to go for oh, testing. Wow. That actually Damn. happens a lot. So, Ugh. oh, that's scary. Yeah. That is scary. Yeah. So wow. they do wear gloves, but it it sometimes does go through. Yeah. Um, so don't do that. Okay. <laughs> I think most people know that. Um, but more onto the things that people are more likely to throw in there that they just don't know. It's that a lot of plastics aren't recyclable. Based on your community, they might not accept some types of plastics. So plastics are graded on a number scale. They're either a one, two, three, four, five, six, or seven. Um, Seven is kind of the catch-all of if it's not covered in one through six, it's a seven. Um, A lot of places only take one and two. Some will take, well, no, only specific places will take four because four is LDPE, which is what you think like a grocery bag. Anything that's kind of stretchy, like cling film, things like that, So that's the stuff that's going to get stuck in the machine. But if you take it to a grocery store, like I know Publix has um, different bins you can go throw your recycling in. Um, So you can recycle that there. Um, But like a lot of children's toys are made out of PVC. PVC cannot be recycled. You cannot throw that in the recycling. It won't work. Um, And then also any kind of packaging or item you have that has multiple different kind of grades of recyclable on that. So whether it's a um, piece of paper that's laminated, that's not recyclable. A piece of paper or um, a piece of cardboard that has metal on it, that's you have to separate it. So it is recyclable. You just have to separate it because they cannot send it to a mill as is with those two things together. And they don't have the time or people power to separate those items. Um, it's important to take the um, plastic off your cardboard boxes. So like all the tape, um, if you can't get it all, there are ways that they can manage it, but you don't want to have a box completely covered in tape and try to recycle it. 
Well, that's a big one, too, because you think of like an Amazon box. Mm -hmm. It's got the tape and then it's got the box itself. I do try to take the tape off. If you notice, Amazon actually moved to a tape that is not actually plastic. It's more of a paper-based tape with an adhesive on it, which is actually way more recyclable. So they're doing a good job there, actually. Okay. So should you separate that still? No, you actually don't need to separate that um, because it's just the adhesive and you're not going to be able to pull the adhesive off. It's more like when you think of just like regular packaging tape. That's the stuff um, that they're going to have to pull out. um, Got it gets contaminated got it yeah and assuming that with regular packaging tape it, it is it just better to toss it or yes. can that also be recycled okay it cannot mm. okay Damn. most plastics are not recycled really the only two main plastics that are recycled are pet and hdpe which are one and two so pe pet is um like water bottles Gatorade bottles, things like that. Though not all water bottles are PET. Um, some of them are a different. If you think of the softer ones that are kind of like cheaper yeah. feeling, it's not PET, mm-hmm. not PET, and those are Ooh. not likely to be recycled. So you think your Great Value, your Nestle, things like that, versus a Dasani bottle that's like that hard, harder plastic. That's so funny because I yeah. I thought that Chris, so Crystal Geyser, for example, they have the thinner bottles, and it. I remember when those came out, it sort of made it sound like they were doing that to be more environmentally conscious. So that's just like BS. We're then, using right? less because plastic. Because you can't recycle yeah. them at all. So those should go in the trash? It depends on your recycler. Some It would oh, fall okay. under the three through seven plastics that okay. sometimes are accepted. Um, it should likely say the number. If you look at the little recycling symbol on uh-huh. your recycling, uh, on your plastic, it'll generally have a number there. And that'll tell you what grade it is. If it's a one or two, always throw it in the bin. It's always going to be good to go. Um, if it's anything else, you that's when you need to start doing a little bit of research. Got it. And I got think it. one of the big lessons here is that everybody needs to do research to see what exactly can be recycled in their areas, because there are some clear things that definitely cannot, but then there's this middle ground that's going to vary depending on where you live. So there needs to be some major efforts to educate people. On one hand, like I get it. A lot of us just don't have the time to go look into what exactly can be recycled, especially when we're like on our way out to the garage. We just need to throw things in the bin. Like we don't have time to sit there and sort sort everything. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, this is like really important. And we think you might think you're doing something helpful by by recycling. And as somebody put it, wish cycling, just throwing stuff in the recycling bin and hoping for the best. Mm-hmm. But it could be all for nothing. Honestly, it's better if you're in doubt. It's generally better to throw it away. The easiest two ways to tell if something, if your recycling bin is good is does it smell? If it smells it shouldn't smell. <laughs> and number two, if it's wet, it should not be wet. It should be dry. So okay. okay. If either of those things are happening, you're doing something wrong. That's a really good point because I keep my recycling bin outside. Me too. And it is under a covered roof. But I mean, it it's open air. So when it rains... I guess it's possible that some moisture could be getting inside of that bin as well. Yeah. Is that a problem? If it gets a little wet, that's okay. What you don't want is leaving it there for a while and letting mold grow. I think most people Mm -hmm. probably don't do that. You just don't want sopping wet stuff if it's just dripping. I mean, that's what you don't want. Well, I I think this is a big problem in cities. I'm thinking of Chicago where we have our dumpsters in the alley. And of course, these bins with everybody 
buying so much shit and having it delivered. The bins are overflowing with with recycling, so you can't close them. And then it pours for three hours, and all that stuff in there is wet. And I would think about this from time to time because I did know this about things. They can't be wet. Um, And I'm like, all this is going to waste. This is just going to be thrown out because it's all getting completely soaked. Yeah, because it then becomes hard to move because if it's generally paper or sometimes cardboard, depending on how thick it is, it'll just start to fall apart. It just becomes mush. All this considered, how much of what America recycles gets actually recycled? I don't want to know the answer. (laughs) So I actually had to do some research on this because I didn't really know an exact number because there's so many different things that play a factor into this between what is thrown away at a recycling plant versus what's thrown away at a mill versus what's exported and then thrown away. You just really, it's hard to quantify, but I did find an article from the Columbia School Climate School um, by Renee Cho. Um, And what I found in that article is 66% of discarded paper and cardboard was recycled, 27% of glass, and 8% of plastic was recycled. And you think about how much Oof. plastic we all use every day and only 8% yeah. of that is actually getting recycled. And then it, uh, the 92% just sits in a landfill for the rest of time. Mm-hmm. I get so angry. Every, or ends up in the ocean. Every, right, yeah. I get so angry every time I go to Costco and I see people just buying tons and tons of bottled water. And I don't know why. People are just ad- are addicted to I'm, this. You know, I'm trying to get my mom to stop I because think you- she mentioned this once maybe yeah so she we for, for a lot we were doing so well and then all of a sudden she was just like buying bottles of water like bottled water flats and it's like why are you doing this because we have great water in the bay area and also like the fridge has a built-in filter yeah so <laughs> there's no reason why we need to buy the bottled water but i haven't really made very much headway um, she specifically buys those crystal geyser bottles. So now I'm going to like leave this show and tell her that they're not as recyclable. Oh, as yeah. Thinks, so maybe yeah. that'll help. <laughs> that was actually where I found out in this article. It's mentioned about they specifically mentioned Nestle, Walmart, Procter and Gamble and Unilever. I haven't heard of them before. Um, but Greenpeace is asking companies like them that make pla- that make their products with uh, three through seven plastics and label them as recyclable to stop labeling them as recyclable. Oh, wow. um, they've put that to the Federal yeah. Trade um, Commission as mislabeling because it's really not recyclable. It's not something that really does get recycled or bought and sold and turned into something new. Liza brought up a good point. The only thing. Or sorry, Catherine, I guess the solution at the end of the day is to reduce all waste. I think that sounds yep. like a, a good compromise because like it's just out of control. And um, one question I had for you, actually, jumping a little ahead. Do you feel good about the future of recycling? Are we going to improve? So interestingly, because I always thought America was not that great of a recycler, especially when you compare us to Europe or like Japan, I know is really good at recycling. Um, But we're actually pretty decent at recycling overall Um, when you compare us to some different countries, some more second world countries. We're not the ones really contributing like when the whole like save the sea turtles thing was going around with stop using straws. Like we're actually not the ones that are putting most of the plastic into the ocean that we're like maybe a percentage point of it. Um, So Honestly, we don't have that much control over it, which is mm. kind of like great, but also kind of scary that yeah. I can't control this. I can't fix this by not taking a straw at a restaurant. Um, but I think it'll be really interesting. Um, 
I think we're going to come back to it at some point, but with China not taking our recycling at this point, um, a lot more mills are being built in America to kind of make up for the the lack of consumption um, because there's so much more material here because there used to be so much profit in exporting overseas. Um, And there is still a market there, but it's not as big since China was the number one. Um, So companies have found that building some plants domestically will um, hopefully make revenue and then be able to get that material moved. That's good because more jobs here in America. So, okay. Exactly. I also love that you brought up that as a country, we're not as bad at recycling as maybe our preconceived notions might lead us to believe we are. Um, I I like that opportunity to challenge our assumptions (laughs) and see like, oh, actually, we are comparatively not doing as bad as we thought. Yeah. yeah, we could be way worse. <laughs> quite honestly, <laughs> okay. I think I think there there was this large push in the '80s to kind of start doing that, and that's why you see so many recycling bins at everybody's houses and so many different opportunities to recycle electronics. I know Laura, you were talking about recycling your Mac, um, and so there's just mm-hmm. so many opportunities that are easily accessible nowadays. And I know Apple has um, for at least some of the newer products, like a buyback program. Um, so by having those incentives and like that's why you have for the aluminum cans and bottles sometimes if you collect them yourselves and take them to the plant they'll actually pay you for them um so there are a lot of incentives to do it too which i think as americans helps and yep. also apple at least i know apple is making efforts to make as much of the as much of the materials in their products recyclable as possible mm-hmm. i don't know if they're completely recyclable i'm assuming not but i know they're striving to get there so that's nice to see that some companies are trying to do that any other questions panel or hayden anything else you wanted to let the audience yeah i know? would just ask for hayden's final thoughts really just reduce and reuse along with the recycle Try not to use as much single-use plastic because, once again, that's the hardest to actually recycle. Um, I mean, it's not going to be completely avoidable. But And then also make sure you rinse out all your recyclables, um, your shampoo bottles, your detergent bottles, um, any food product. Make sure it's really clean because also one-fourth of material is thrown out because it's contaminated. So if we can all do a better job of making sure whatever goes in the recycling bin is not going to contaminate our Um, recycling or our neighbors, we can all be better stewards of it. And hopefully more things get recycled. Yeah, excellent. Okay, those are great tips. We'll make a social media post with these as well. So people can quickly grab them. Hayden, thank you so much for all this information for sharing it with us. Yeah, this was super helpful. You're welcome. You're our chief recycling correspondent now. Whenever we have questions, (laughs) we'll message you or have you back on the show to answer more questions. Do you like your job there? I do. Um, I kind of stumbled into it. It was not something I intentionally got into. Um, I had moved to Atlanta a couple years ago and was looking for a job and a recruiter found me and said, hey, you could work here. And I said, great. <laughs> and here I am four years later living in a different state, still working for them. Um, cool. So I've learned a whole lot that I never would have known before. Um, so yeah. if you have any questions, let me know. If I don't know the answer, I know people with years and years of experience that I can ask and they will happily answer me. Fantastic. So. Thank you. And you said I you're at that. a company that buys recycling. Yeah. So we 
we buy the material from the recycling plants and then place it at the facilities that will then turn it into new Ah. material. So whether that's um, a paper mill or some sort of plastics plant that's going to change it. We do a lot of insulation, surprisingly. Um, There's a lot of recycled insulation. Oh, that's cool because that's something that hangs around hangs around for a really long time. So like that's Mm -hmm. being put to good use. Wow, and and you've got like a good job that's making a big impact. You know, Mm -hmm. like you're helping Earth. So that's really cool. Hayden's going to hang around in After Dark today. We are going to talk about social media. We have a couple more questions uh, from our patrons. Sarah asked us, "Do you think you live your lives differently than you did prior to social media?" Pretty big question. So we'll try to tackle that in today's After Dark. It's time for recommendations. Laura, what do you got? Uh, I would like to recommend an album that came out last year. It's a 2020 album. It's Gorilla's Song Machine Season 1. Really great album. It's been my obsession album, honestly, for the last few months. And it's got some great songs on it. Also some great... Um, featured artists on there. And Andrew, you might be interested in this. Elton John is featured on a track. Oh, nice. I know you're a fan of Elton, so. I'll give that a spin. Yes. Yes, there you go. (laughs) I wanted to recommend Shadow and Bone on Netflix. This is an adaptation of uh, Lee Bardugo's uh, best-selling book series. Um, I want to preface this also by saying that I have not read the books, but I really enjoyed the show. And if you're really into, you know, like sci-fi and fantasy, then this is probably going to be something that you'll want to check out. Uh, The world building is really well done. And um, it was just a really good watch. It's only eight episodes, so it's not super, super long in the grand scheme of um, series, but it's getting a lot of hype right now. So I'd be interested to hear what you thought of it. So if you want to tweet me your thoughts, I would love to know. Yeah, it has a very passionate fan base. So maybe if Mm -hmm. you're looking for a new fandom, this could be a good one for you. I want to recommend checking with your local state to see if you have any unclaimed funds. Last week, my brother texted me. He had looked up uh, The Simses and saw that the state of New Jersey had some unclaimed funds for me and my sister. And I went on to this online tool, and sure enough, I did. And I just got one of the checks today. I got 150 bucks from New Jersey. What? I, For yeah, what? God knows. Unclaimed property administration. And then there's a claim number. It's from the Treasury. But then I went onto the site. So you can go to usa.gov slash unclaimed hyphen money, and you could find the tools you need to check your state. But I got looking. I was in California for nine years. I have unclaimed funds in California, too. And I started claiming these. Now, I have run a couple of online businesses, so I think part of it is related to that. But like I said, my sister had unclaimed funds as well in New Jersey. So I've got like $400 coming to me, and I don't really know why. So there's some money that might be out there for you. And Hayden, what is your recommendation? My recommendation is an Instagram account called Go Clean Co., which is a cleaning company based in Canada that has kind of gone viral since the pandemic started. Um, It's just a small woman-run business that has so many cleaning tips. She makes it so interesting. I don't think my house has ever been cleaner since I've started following her. It's really, really interesting, and I highly suggest you go give her a follow or at least a look to see what you can do to clean your house. Done. That's awesome. I love this. 
That's I'm a clean great. freak. This sounds right up my alley. All right. Well, thanks again, Hayden. We really appreciate you coming on the show. And thanks for your support on Patreon and for being such a longtime supporter. Happy for it. Excellent. If you have any feedback about today's episode, you can email millennialshow at gmail.com or use the contact form on millennialshow.com. You can also follow us on social media. We are Millennial Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And of course, we have our Patreon. Pledge today at patreon.com slash millennial and you'll get instant access to lots of benefits, including our live streams, ad-free millennial, our planning docs, our Discord, where it's always so much fun to hang out with fellow listeners as we record each new episode, a chance to appear on Millennial like Hayden did today, and much more. So again, that's patreon.com slash millennial. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Laura. I'm Pamela. And I'm Hayden. Bye, Bye. everybody.